This is Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name is Nick. And today we're doing a quarantine check-in. That's what I'm calling it, at least. Yay. Yay. (laughs) We haven't done a check-in in in a long time. I feel like we've been interviewing a lot of people. I mean, we haven't really done a check-in ever, technically. We don't. It's not really our style. That's true. Of just talking about our lives. But, I mean, it comes up, but we haven't actually... I don't know. Yeah, we've been interviewing a lot of people. It hasn't been one-on-one in a long time. We check in off the air. We haven't we recorded do. any of our check-ins. That's so. right. Our check-ins are usually after we record the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's now, what's today? May 22nd. And we both stopped going to work around the same time in New York City on March 7th. No, 9th. March 9th. I was working from home. I think you started working from home like the 11th or something. I have no concept of time right now. Yeah, I just remember because we had a party on the 7th, which is insane. And then we, I got, I remember getting that email that day, March 7th from my company saying that we were working from home starting that Monday. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were like, your company was like, it's, it's, you, it was an op, like an option. You could start working yeah. from home. And then I think yeah. they made it mandatory like that midweek. That next week. Yeah. I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah. My memory has gotten a lot better since I've stopped drinking. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think working from home used to feel like such a gift and a joy for me. And I, I try to still be present with that, remember that experience of loving working from home. But yeah, I don't know. So Nick, you went down to live with your parents in South Carolina. I yeah, think so it was basically that week. It was the following week because I remember we recorded that Thursday or something after that. So with Jen. Yeah, so that week... I I was talking to my parents and I had sort of intended to stay in New York because yeah. at that point it was a temporary thing. Right. At least I thought that maybe May, but definitely June we would be back. But talking to my parents, they they were act, they were more concerned about me staying in New York than I was. And so when I made the decision to actually leave, that's when it hit me that I was like, oh, I have to actually get on a plane right. and go down there. And I'm also my parents are older, so I'm exposing them. So that whole time period was very weird. Because even when I came down here, I almost didn't want to interact with them the first couple of weeks just in case right. something happened. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I was not dealing with things in a very healthy manner. So... Mm. I think actually when we were talking with Jen, it was talking about secondary addictions. Right. And that's when a lot of my things were coming up at that point. So that whole month, even bleeding into the next month, was kind of like a blur and not really using very healthy coping mechanisms. I wasn't drinking and I didn't. So why don't you talk talk about what was going on in specifics? Oh, I was just obsessed with the financial markets. Yeah. uh, And gambling has been a thing i think when i stopped drinking is when i started dabbling into these 
options markets, right. which are just these very like risky, over leveraged sort of gambling instruments, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's almost a coin flip uh, when you're betting on stuff like that, but right. an insane rush when you win, like that dopamine hit. And then you're kind of like, oh, I want more of this. So, and also that it's the rush of anxiety, like of not knowing, right? The not knowing, even losing is kind of a rush too. Yeah, you're still and feeling like wanting that. to come back. And I didn't actually, I thought it wasn't a, it's, you know, these things are never a problem until they become a problem. And then, uh, you know, I was like, this is a problem. So basically at the end of last year, I put some guardrails around that. And those guardrails were probably like broken yeah. when, you know, all this things started. Yeah. And I almost thought I was like, you know, this isn't really affecting me as much, but it was because like, I was like, you know, coping in this sort of way. So when that was sort of removed, it opened up some space for me to actually get back into practices. Well, that, so why don't you, you know, talk about, doing. cause I, we had a couple conversations about the gambling stuff. What, helped you stop because it's pretty fucking serious i guess just knowing that i have a framework with alcohol and drugs and things like that it's it's very similar Uh in that manner Uh and in fact you know within recovery dharma we have a lot of people who have process addictions yeah that use the same framework so at least i was able to like recognize it in a way and knowing that there's people i can talk to about it was super helpful so just you know admitting that it was a problem Mm -hmm. and then talking to somebody about it and then figuring out a game plan of like, okay, I need to actually like call the bank and shut down this account and just not touch this. And just like, I put blockers on my computer so I wouldn't be able to go to like the sites, you know? And so it's putting those guardrails around yourself the same way that I put guardrails around myself when I was trying to stop drinking like saying, I'm not going to go to bars anymore. You know, that's just a place that's <laughs> off limits for me. Um, it's pretty basic. You know? Not having alcohol yeah. in the house. For me, it was taking an abuse. Forced, like, so my body couldn't actually drink alcohol. That was my yeah. biggest guardrail. For sure. I did that too. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> that was a lot harder. But I think going through that whole process and just being in recovery for years, it lets you recognize some of these things that, uh, I probably wouldn't have recognized it as, you know, uh, as a problem maybe if I didn't have this system. Yeah. 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 No. Well, I mean, I think you were suffering big time because you kept losing money. <laughs> so, well, I was just like staying up all night and I was uh, also winning money too. Uh, <laughs> but I, well, I never, I never heard about the wins. I only heard about the losses, I think. So, uh, yeah, you didn't um, come to me cause you knew I would have been like, Nick, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, that like it affects your sleep patterns because, you know, these markets go all night, you know, and what if what's happening in Asia affects right. what happened in Europe. And right. it's just like, I don't know, that whole news cycle is very addictive as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We were talking, uh, I was re-listening to a little bit of our podcast from before when we checked in with Jen, right, when this started happening. And we talked about the consumption of media being addictive and I, I basically had to narrow, like whittle myself down to the Cuomo press conferences. Oh, and just to like, I, I decided I stayed in New York. My parents 
My mother, yeah, both of them. They they tried to get me to go out to Indiana, and I was like, no. Uh, you know, I just I think my home is very comforting to me, and I've that's one of the things that I've kind of realized about myself through all this. I mean, I know that, and I would say that I'm also a Taurus rising for people who know what that means. That Taurus are real homebodies, but it's it's like the objects I surround myself with. I take a lot of comfort in. So that just wasn't an option for me. Mm. Like it was just more mentally stable for me to stay in place, even though it was New York city and I'm in the Bronx, which was the worst, like had the worst amount of positive COVID cases in the world, which is crazy to think about. But I didn't really see the reality of that from my, you know, the square feet that I take up here in this neighborhood. So, yeah. Oh, but the consumption of media. So yeah, I was listening to the the Cuomo press conferences and every day at 1130 and that, and a time story once around that was it. And now I'm not even listening to the press conferences anymore. Cause I feel like we're not in like peak information cycle anymore. Anyway, it's kind of, we're just yeah. waiting. What uh, about you guys? Yeah. My dad's a news junkie. He okay. loves keeping the pulse, but we did have to regulate on him. <laughs> and say, Can't keep playing this stuff. Does he play it like 24 hours a day or while yeah. he's up? Oh, yeah. It was like constantly the TV was on. Does he watch CNBC? Um, <laughs> he watched everything. Uh, I mean, to his credit, he want, he watches Fox News. He watches oh, CNBC. Wow. So he watches he CNN. Like... He just watches it all. So he has a but, strong stomach. Yeah. I mean, I think he just is, you know, he loves it. I mean, what did your, what he, did you have to do to regulate it? You just told him what? Well, I was just like, you know, I was also following these kinds of things. And at that moment, moment, you know, back when it first started, everything was so uncertain and nobody knew what was going to happen and nobody right, knew right. what Trump was going to say every time. I know. It was just going to be like massive swings and massive shifts based off of just what people would talk about Yeah. during those conferences, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think a bit of that has kind of died down as we've like, we're, we're obviously not normal, but people are opening up and it's right. not. Because it's like, open and you're where you are, right? Yeah, things are open i haven't been going out but the parks are open that's good and i think businesses are open as well you um, haven't experimented with getting your haircut well you shaved your head i did i gave myself a haircut <laughs> it looks good from what i saw but, on our uh our zoom meeting. I, yeah i definitely like it i didn't like it at first uh did you know I that that was gonna look like, good no uh i used to have short hair like this when I was in college and like a kid, but I didn't realize how vain I was until <laughs> like I lost all that hair. Yeah. And I was like, oh man. I know how vain I am. This is like a practice in renunciation. <laughs> I'm like really attached to it. You that. do have beautiful thick hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's nice going through that process. And actually I was talking to someone and they say that you hold a lot of emotions in your hair. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that's exactly like how you hold it in your hips too. True. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's like in your body. And so kind of cutting it off, I did actually feel like fresher after that experience. It's like a sort of a new beginning or something. Well, it's kind of a stereotype that after a breakup, you do like a major hair thing, at uh, least for women. 
Yeah. You're like, I need a change. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you want you want the or internal change to be made visible. So yeah. the haircut's like a very effective way of doing that. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I think that was like I think I've been making like positive steps in the last month or so mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't when these things weren't happening. And I think a lot of that had to do with news and even like the way that you consume the news, it brings up a lot of fear in yeah. you. Like yeah. that's their that's their job, I feel like yeah. in the news is to promote that feeling. So cutting that stuff off and like now I don't really look at any of it. And I'm just a lot happier uh, having that uh, free space in my mind. Yeah, I st- I get so angry. My fear, my feelings are mostly anger. So, and that's not really useful. I mean, right now for me, you know, sometimes anger is very useful, but. Yeah, but I will say that there is alcohol at my parents' house oh. and my dad drinks. Mm. Not, I wouldn't say like every night, but, you know, have a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. Mm-hmm. At first it wasn't bothering me, but then I could actually see like, oh, interesting. Not that I want to do it, but it's just there if I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and there have been a couple nights where I've been up really late looking at, well, I got into a new obsession. I started, I ordered a guitar mm, and I started playing guitar that's again. That's a good, healthy obsession. Yeah. It, it's sort of, but then it's like late at night, I've been watching all these videos. Oh, how to play the guitar? Playing and music theory and all this kind of stuff. And then it leads to like being up very late at night. Right. And then, like, you know, I had this thought, like, oh, I could just go downstairs and, yeah. like, drink something and it helped me go to sleep. And then I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> That's good. You'll just, like, feel horrible the next morning. So that sort of playing the tape, as they call it, yeah. uh, is a useful technique for me when I feel like I want to do that. But Do you think it's boredom? Yeah. What do you think it uh, is? You know, I think I when I had like the the gambling stuff in there, it was something that I could turn to. No, that's it, that's total distraction. I think the gambling, it, but yeah, that's yeah. distraction. But I think the alcohol is also a distraction. Mm-hmm. Distraction from what in that instance when you're playing guitar obsessively into the evening. Well, I think I started playing guitar because like other stuff has been coming up for me too. Like there's been this like undercurrent of stuff that has like just come up from like leaving New York and like stuff with my job and living with my parents and just feeling like a failure sort of. And then thinking about all the mistakes I've done in my Uh, life and things like that. So like part of that is actually, I don't know, playing the guitar is like catharsis to deal with some of those emotions, mm-hmm. but some of it is just like not wanting to even like deal with that stuff. And then just wanting to like no. distract or like escape into something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, has stuff like that been coming up for you? No. And I think, I think that's normal. I think it would be if I was around my parents, honestly, I think I definitely protected myself by not going to their house. I have more control over everything while I'm here. What I, my feelings primarily, but I could, I I would definitely, especially in a more conservative place like Indiana, not that I'd be seeing anybody when I'm there, but I just think there is a little bit more of a, what is this? She's 
in her thirties and she's not married and she doesn't have children, what's going on? You know, there's, it's, there's yeah. a lot more awareness of that. Or I assume there is, that's my story. I tell myself when I'm there, but I think I'm right. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, um, the stuff that comes up for me is just the kind of existential dread, the general dread that I always have, but it's, I'm just more aware of it. Like a whole day will be consumed by it as opposed to there's a moment of it, you know? I mean, I think I used to have days of it too, but I think, think I was easily distracted. I, you know, I had work or like I had something to do after work. I was going to dinner with a friend or I was meeting you to do something. You know what I mean? So there's this constant distraction. Oh, for sure. I definitely feel the removal of that. Yeah. I also, I guess I do, I do feel like I'll be forever single or something because I'm here. It's like, okay, are they... They, they're telling us, especially New York City, it's like, okay, when am I ever going to be able to touch a human being again? You know, I it's June, or no, it's late May, and we have no understanding of when that's going to happen, you know? And it does, it does feel like, it, when is that ever going to lift? And, you know, like, you're not coming back until potentially next year because there's all of these companies that are saying, well, people can work from home until 2021. So there's like, yeah. you know, I was thinking about swaths that. of people not coming back to New York city, you know? Well, yeah, I was thinking about the dating thing. Yeah. And I just installed the apps. Um, you reinstalled them just to make myself feel better. Yeah. Somebody likes me, but <laughs> then I was like, I had this realization. It's like, what is there's no point in doing this because I'm not actually going to like meet up with anyone. And I still have one on my phone, but like, even now, like I've switched it down to South Carolina and I'm like, it's not really a possibility. I don't think that's something I'm going to actually do. Yeah. So I probably just will not think about that or try and not think about it for the next six months, but it's really hard to do. Like, I know I ended up, I, went on to I I switched it up because you know I've been all about OkCupid because I can be really open about my sobriety on there mm -hmm. so I switched it up and I tried Hinge for the first time in a long time that's the one I use yeah right because yeah and I started talking to somebody and we'll see you know it's been really nice I don't know where you know we'll see <laughs> that's how I am with all dating I mean, and I also think I kind of touched on it last time. Is what I, like I think when you're remote, when you're having this conversation, and this I think guys, not guys, everybody does this a lot when they're texting somebody and they haven't met them. It you create somebody you want them to be. You know, it's very mm -hmm. easy to create the thing that you are looking for because you haven't actually met them, and there's not a like a true reality to it. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm just aware of that. Not that I'm not doing it anyway, but is there anything, how has it been just being around your parents besides the kind of awareness of where you are in life, <laughs> staying with your parents? Yeah, I think that that has been an interesting experience. I haven't spent this prolonged amount of time with my parents before. Yeah. And so again, like I have this ideal of like my parents in my mind and then the reality doesn't really match. Mm. that ideal mm. like it's life it's messy there's like conflict and 
you know, not all the time, but those things happen. Yeah. And I suppose it's interesting coming back and living this despair as an adult, as a, you know, the last time I'd ever lived with my parents this long was when I was a teenager. Yeah. That's actually been like a nice kind of exercise for me and just being able to like open up dialogue with my parents in a more adult way. AKA being a therapist. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I suppose like being in recovery and doing all these things, we talk about these sort of deep underlying things a lot right? in a way that I don't think my parents really explored that. Right. Obviously not as much as I have. Right. So kind of talking about those things and just understanding what it's like, you know, when you're at that point in your life, you know, and you've done a whole bunch of things with your life. Are they retired? They're both retired. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what do you want that part of your life to look like? And just because you had this life beforehand, it doesn't mean the rest of your life has to look like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's some exploration on that sort of end of doing it. I guess I honestly just miss being a recovery and talking to people about like (laughs) their deepest, darkest shit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Your parents have become the guinea pigs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, that's what it feels like, you know. Um, <laughs> I guess I do that what with it, my parents too, but. But what has it been like for you just being on your own? Are you, you, what, I guess I'm curious, like what that existential, existential, existential dread. <laughs> I, I know this word. I just can't say it for some reason. Existential. You got it. I don't know. I think there's. I kind of relay it to the first tenet, you know, life is suffering that. And I know that's that general annoyance of like, I've stubbed my toe five times in a fucking day, which is actually something I've experienced recently, but it's also just this underlying buzz of dread or discomfort. It feels like dread. And one thing I really noticed about myself is how much, and I feel silly saying this, but how much the weather really affects me. If it's a gloomy oh, day. Oh, no, totally. I'm Why is that just, a silly thing? This whole know. week it's been ra- raining here and I feel like absolute dog shit. Okay. Because yeah. I haven't been going outside and it's just like, yeah, gloomy weather is bad. It, it affects you. Yeah, it's been really nice here. So I've been in a pretty good mood. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah, and... It really affects me. So when it's a gloomy day, I'm more likely to wear my sweats, which we can talk about this, but that's definitely something I have not been doing. I keep seeing on Twitter, everyone's like, you're a fucking lunatic sociopath if you wear jeans or anything with a restrictive like waist. And I'm like, I don't, I can't wear sweats. I have to wear a bra. I have to wear real clothing or I feel like shit. I feel like there's something wrong with me. Like when I'm not wearing like a bra and I'm wearing like sweats or leggings all day, it means I'm sick or like it reminds me of being hungover, I think is really what it is. And so I just hate that feeling and it makes me feel worthless. So I agree with you. I like getting up and taking a shower and getting dressed. Me too. Yeah. And I'll even wear makeup sometimes on days when I just feel like it I don't know like and it's so funny because I'll I'll put makeup on and then I'll go outside and I'm wearing a mask and sunglasses so literally (laughs) the only June my dog sees my nice face but it's just mental health like I blow dry my hair this is stuff that I just thought I was definitely not gonna do but after a couple months 
I it is funny yeah. that you bring that up. It does like feel like that sort of lazy, hungover feeling yeah. where you wouldn't do anything, you know? And yeah, maybe going through that experience, I totally relate with what you're saying. And it just brings up a bad feeling. It makes me feel worthless. And yeah. it's always been like this and it'll always be like this. It, and yeah, I don't know. I just, I have to look somewhat, you know, also I, I go out. I mean, one of the nice things is having June, my dog, is that I take her on these long walks now every day. And it's kind of kind of a routine where we take, especially now that it's nice, we'll take about an hour walk and then we sit in the grass. There's a school, like a prep school nearby and they have a nice lawn. And so we'll sit there for like 15, 20 minutes and just lay in the grass and stuff. And that's been like very important for me. You've been running, right? I have been running. Yeah. I started running and that's, you know, it's, it's funny that you talk about those dread feelings. Not that I was, I mean, well, it's not funny. I mean, no, it's funny because you keep, I, I was just thinking, oh, I never really like actually got down to what Nick was asking me, which is what is that feeling except for kind of what it feels like. I don't, I don't, I just assume everyone has it. I don't know. I have it sometimes, but I don't actually, what is like the underlying thing for you? Is it a feeling of just why am I even here? Like, what is yeah. life? Like, what am I doing? Yeah, I think so. And if I don't have things to distract me from it, it's just kind of overwhelming, I guess. Yeah. So I was very much feeling that I slipped into like a depression, I think, yeah. for a few months. Yeah. And I'm normally not like that. And I guess I didn't realize how vigilant I have to be about like cultivating a positive mental state. Yeah. And that's like a positive physical state. Like all those things are so related with each other. Yeah. So when I started exercising again, started eating, started getting into routine, that it just helped with the mental attitude and the sort of like uh, existential angst that you're talking about, <laughs> which like will always be there. Like I still don't know exactly. Like I feel like you have to make up meaning in your life. Yeah. And otherwise, at least in my instance, I just start poking holes in the things that I'm doing and saying, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing something else, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But it's all like how you relate with the thing and that you can change your attitude about the thing and make it Definitely. something that has purpose for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I started reading A Course in Miracles and I was like, this seems like a lot. And so then I was like, well, okay, I'll buy the Mary, Mary Ann Williamson book that basically just, just you know, it's her interpretation of it so Marion Williamson's book Return to Love is basically A Course in Miracles guide and I still I cannot get I cannot get into it and it's it's really how God focused it is and God created you and so anything you create is really a creation of God and I and I like I like the clear freedom that it promises you. Freedom from fear was basically what it, it, it promises in that if everything is an act of love, you know, you, you kind of learn that everything that you're, everything that our society has created has been created out of fear and that's all fake. It's all bogus. And I, 
And I completely agree with that concept. I do think that underlying everything there is love. But the God language just it's like a brick wall for me. And I can't I keep I will literally be in the book crossing out God with really? energy or you know, light or whatever. And I still cannot <laughs> get around it. So I started reading Damien Eccles because I talked to Jen. Well, I was texting with Jen about it, Jen, who we've had on the show a couple of times. And since she's a spiritual goddess. And so she was like, yeah, maybe try something else. You know how she is. Yeah. That was a good Jen impression. (laughs) So, and I was texting with her. I wasn't even talking with her anyway. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll turn to Damien Eccles. And I mean, his book is so easy to read. It's, you know, but the high magic book. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I already am like, okay, this is like a a good step in the right direction of, it was what you were saying, basically, you know, I was just reading in that book about how, how powerful positive thinking is and reframing that way of looking at things and, and, and what you're doing with, you know, and that's just very Mm -hmm. simple and a good project for me just throughout the, you know, that's something I can focus on during this. Oh, time. that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, I think I've been looking for a spiritual project and obviously the guide is the ultimate spiritual project cause it has a workbook and everything. And I could maybe just keep still doing the workbook because it has some, it's based on a lot of stuff I already understand inherently through Buddhism, but it's, you know, again, the God stuff is just too hard for me. Yeah. The Damien Eccles book is amazing and his whole story is amazing. I started watching the documentary last night. Again, I watched it a while ago, the Paradise Lost documentaries. Mm-hmm. Because he and two other boys were convicted of murdering three like eight-year-old boys because basically Damien Eccles and his buddy Jesse were really into like Metallica and were different, you know, in this small Arkansas town. And I think they were, when these three murders happened, they were like, well, who can we kind of pin it on? And so they were the weirdos and then they ended up, anyway, it's a whole story. It's very fascinating. There's three documentaries on HBO, which you can watch now called The Paradise Lost. And anyway, so I'm doing a I'm doing like deep dive Damien Eccles. So that's your spiritual project now. Now it is. It changes. A There's lot. a lot to work. There's a lot to work in that book. Yeah. A lot of like visualization stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you about that. Oh, good. 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 Uh, yeah, I suppose my project. I I didn't really think this was a project, but I brought one book down with me when oh, I left. Geez. I totally didn't bring it up. I mean, actually, I don't it's think nice anyone did. Yeah, but um, it's actually nice because now I realize I don't need that much stuff, actually. Yeah. I can live with just, you know, whatever I packed in my suitcase. But I did bring Tara Brock's book, The Radical okay. Compassion right, book. Right, because we were talking about that I think right we were before. supposed to do yeah. it as a book club, but <laughs> that didn't happen. That fell apart but quickly. She, so she talks about, you know, in this book, The Rain Method, mm-hmm. which is about uh, recognize allow investigate nurture it's about emotions something that i famously have not really gotten in touch with as really? much as like the intellectual portion of buddhism i feel like a recover i think i intellectualize a lot of stuff and i think i you know this has been my practice probably for the last 
six months is trying to find that heart mind connection. Yeah. But I still like am very cerebral of like that sort of like head mind as opposed to like the heart mind. And so she talks about that. And I'm like reading this book and I'm like oh, doing the exercise. I'm like, okay, I'm not getting it. I don't know what's wrong. Oh, really? Um, and then uh, I guess like three weeks ago, you know, I haven't listened to music, re- like really listened to music in a while. Mm-hmm. Usually I'm always listening to like audiobooks or like podcasts or something mm-hmm. like that. But Radiohead, mm-hmm. which is my favorite band, <laughs> during the quarantine, they've been releasing every Thursday their like back catalog of concerts. And they released one concert, which I was actually at, oh, 2006 wow. Bonnaroo. And it was just an amazing show. Like one of their best shows they've ever played. And you were there. Like Dave, Dave even said that. Wow. Um, and just the emotion that they sing with. And like, I listened to that show. I actually had a lot of hesitation to listen to it because I knew it was going to mess me up. Right. Because that was a time that I was like with Arthi and like we both loved that band. Yeah. And it was just like a very special night together. Yeah. And like, there's just so much like wrapped up in that whole thing that I was like, man, if I, I'm going to lose it. This if is going to open it, it up. I, yeah. Yeah. And then like, I listened to it and I was just like crying yeah. and like, for like days, well. like listening to Radiohead. And I was still running. I don't know if you've ever run and, and cried, cried at the same time. It's like an amazing experience. I was going to say, that sounds but, like it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. It feels really good. And almost getting attached to the feeling bad, you know, is like something that I like. I think it's like why I love Radiohead so much because he just emotes that feeling so well. I've, um, um, I know. Well, I, I, yeah, I think, I think teenagers get a bad rap for that, but I think they probably have something. I think it's okay. I think, I don't know. I know what you mean though. I used to do it a lot. I kind of should allow myself to do that more. It's kind of like what Kunal was saying, how he has these crying triggers. Oh, he actually for sure, ha- like yeah. keeps a list of what makes him cry so that when he, it's like a, it's a mindfulness exercise for him or, you know, a mental health exercise of just like allowing oh, yourself sure. to cry. So Yeah. Well, after that experience, it like opened up something for me that I've been able to go back to these brain practices and oh. meta and stuff like that in like a whole different way. And I think it's like this part of my life, this music thing mm-hmm. uh, is something that's been a part of my life for a long time and I haven't really done it. So I also think like I'm holding on to a lot of stuff from Arthi that I right. haven't gotten over for years, you know, yeah. and thinking that I have intellectually like I have, but like emotionally I haven't, there's still like a lot of stuck energy from that. So I think like that's when I went and bought a guitar and I was like, I need to like process through like the instrument and like writing songs and get it out that way. You know, that's great. That sounds like a really good deep dive. Even So that's been my practice. That's huge. Yeah. That's a big deal. And then, yeah. And then I was like, oh man, it's been a long time since I've wrote some songs Uh like actually like I wrote some like joke songs with like my friends a while back but not anything like heartfelt that you're actually like tapping into something or trying and it's like hard to do without like feel like it's cheesy or something like that but like doing writing I've actually speaking of Kunal like every Thursday with his meditation he does morning pages so that's been something wait so he uh, does he does so Kunal is the person we if you go back and listen to our meditation episode he we interviewed him but so and he has 
a daily meditation practice, but he also does morning pages. Yeah. So like at 930 uh, a.m. Eastern time, he does a meditation and he's like he mixes it up, you know, and he tries a lot of different things. Okay. So I think a couple of weeks ago he tried morning pages for one of the things just to see how it landed. And everyone loved it. It was like and because so it, it's like a 15 minute time period, right? Yeah. So just that process of like writing and journaling and seeing what comes out and then adding some sort of like creative element on top of it, trying to rhyme things together, trying to fit it on top of music and things like that. I, I just realized like how much creativity is like an important part of my life, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I kind of am missing that now yeah, lately. Yeah. So I just, again, like I have to check myself because it has, you know, the tendency to become obsessive. Mm. So how can I like do this and my meditation and the running and keep it all, all three like of balanced. those. Things. Yeah, yeah. Because like all three of those things, when I started running, it's like, okay, I'm going to do marathon training. <laughs> and then it's like, when I'm meditating, it's like, okay, I'm going to meditate like You're three to four hours and I'm going to become a monk. Yeah. And then it's like, I'm going to, you know, the music is like, I'm going to go rent a cabin in the woods and just spend 30 days like writing, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, why can't I just take the middle path with this stuff? <laughs> it's <laughs> so that's, what's been uh, coming up for me. That's great. It's all good stuff. Yeah, I I think it's really good. I think I the motion stuff, I've kind of noticed just because I've had this extended period by myself, I've just been noticing different things about me, about myself. Mm. Very interesting. But one of them is that I don't allow myself to be silly or emotive, like even by myself. There's no one here to witness it. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm still like, well, got check, rein it in. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, I was listening to okay, like sad music the other day and I was like, you know, real, just watched myself cutting it down, you know, being like pushing myself away from those emotions. And then also this silly, like, I really like to dance and I have found that to be really fun when I'm home, but I will, it's like, I've, that's one way I've been able to kind of push it more is mm. like being silly and kind of like having fun by myself is by yeah. dancing. Yeah. And so that's been a good practice, but yeah, I don't like, I don't know what it is. It feels dangerous to open that door. What you did with the Radiohead concert of allowing myself to feel all those feelings, it, I think I've been trained to think it's self-aggrandizing or something, or like I, I think I've been kind of trained into thinking it's it's like making more of yourself or than you really are or something, or making more of those feelings than they really deserve or something. So I can't think of the word. But yeah, I have to experiment. It's a good time to do it. Yeah, for sure. I guess are you saying that it's like egotistical it's like allowing yourself to, it's like a, being a pig and shit kind of allowing yourself to feel all these feelings and what are they really worth like what are they really i don't know yeah but the feelings are like everything i know it's important no i'm telling you like that's kind of been my training and that's what i'm trying to get out of uh yeah like when it comes up shut it down right because no one really wants to hear that or see that. No one's interested. And so, you know, like, 
it's not a good practice to have. That's kind of what I think. So, yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I feel like it comes up a lot for me at work. Like workplace is not a place for emotions. Like work is like a rational thing and you make like rational decisions here. But it's definitely been tough on people this whole time period. Yeah. And so I find myself like checking in with people and I've been leading these meditation sessions virtually at work. And so like I've been opening up to people and having conversations that probably are not like, I don't know, not that I I mean, it's kind of the same vein that you're saying, like you establish these rules. That's like this is appropriate to talk about. This is inappropriate to talk about and things like that. You know, you're not supposed to talk about like love in the workplace like loving kindness you know that's not something that like has a place in there but I think people are like recognizing that empathy and Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence and all these things is actually the way that you build connection and that's what really connects people you know so by not allowing yourself to feel that or showing that to people they're not you're you're hindering the connection that you have with another person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have found that not being in the workplace and I've talked to you about this, but it's really grounded me in myself more, I think. So I have this inner compass, right. Of what I think is bullshit or what I think needs to happen or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And in my workplace, I'm a lot more scared of standing up for myself or saying those things or whatever. Yeah. And since I've been home and because I'm just by myself and not being affected by other people's shit, I just do and say all the things I think are what I think, you know, I like I'm standing by my values with everything. That's amazing. (laughs) And it is amazing. And even with what you were saying, like someone will ask how I'm doing or someone will, it'll be that kind of thing. And I'll realize that I answer very honestly or I ask a question very honestly. You know, like I'm much more what you, like compassionate, I guess. Or yeah. I'll speak in a much realer way. I like someone sent me a picture of the this new dog they adopted in a higher up, somebody who's quite a big bit deal higher than me in position. And I think I responded something like, Oh, without my dog, I'd be a total mess. <laughs> like, you know, she's been and like gone on about how helpful she has been during all of this and I never would have done that before and now I'm like I don't give a shit yeah (laughs) because I'm just and that is my value to be honest about that so and I and I know that person can handle it it's not you know yeah it's I've liked that and I I really hope I can hold on to that oh for sure I think it's one of the most beautiful things that's like come out of this whole thing yeah is that you are like you know, people are at home in their area and they're being real, right? Like there's real stuff going on in life. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, when you go to the office and it's kind of like, I have to project this image and I have to be like this, you know? Yeah. A lot of that is like kind of removed in this situation. So uh, hopefully some of that stuff can transfer out from this time period. Yeah, um, we'll see. I mean, I just, I noticed, and I said this to you before, I kind of like had a mini meltdown, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now. But I I think I'm a very sensitive person, whatever that means. I think a lot of people experience addiction are. 
And I've learned to create a lot of protections and boundaries for myself so I don't feel those emotions or I don't react. And now that I'm by myself all the time and I don't have other people's energies entering my universe, I am, it's, it's like I'm a sieve. I, I'm just transparent. Any, if somebody's energy bumps up against me a little bit, I'm completely affected by it. And like the other day I was walking June and there's again, this prep school that's near me, they put up a sign up for up all their teenage, all their high school seniors. And so I've been seeing these seniors come and find their names on the sign. And these two, I saw these two friends see each other, these two teenage girls and start crying when they saw each other. And even now I could start crying thinking about it. And it's like, <laughs> I just thought that's it was awesome. so sweet that they just broke down crying and wanting to hug each other. And the mom was like, okay, I guess if you're both wearing masks, you can <laughs> it was just, and I just started crying when I saw, you know, and it wasn't even sad. It wasn't sadness. I just loved their emotions, I think, you know? And yeah. so now when I, everything, I'm so aware of people's energies now. Yeah. And it can really fuck with me big time. So I, yeah. I just don't have those protections in place. Oh, uh, for sure. Are, yeah. No, I relate with what you're saying. And that it's like almost too raw. Like you're too exposed. Yeah. Again, it's like that middle. Like how do you find that middle between like being super raw and then like having too much, Protection. too many boundaries on top of you? you yeah, know? I know. I know. I think I could use when this all go back is that compassion that I have or, you know, that part of it is very helpful. But obviously if somebody, if there's kind of a negative, unhealthy vibe going, I, it's like, I don't need that shit, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was like interesting. One of the meditation teachers that I was working with, we would do like these practices that were like heart opening practices. Yeah. And then she would always say like, when you're done with the practice, make sure you close it up, you know, so you can like go out and do stuff. And I was always like, why would you want to close it up? Why wouldn't you want to be like heart open all the time? Right. And then it's like, Oh, because like, you're going to get super fucked up if your heart open all yeah. the time, you yeah. know, you can't handle it. At least I can't handle it. You know, someone read my aura once in Chinatown <laughs> And it was actually, I, w I like wasn't taking it seriously, but then she said some shit about like what was going on that day specifically. And I, it was just out of the blue. Okay. <laughs> like she knew shit. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you have this thing where if you, like you can pick up people's emotions or energy just by walking by them on the street and you need to protect yourself. And then she oh, tried wow. to sell me something to protect myself. But, <laughs> it, yeah, she was like, you need to... And I've actually have bought those stones, you know, more... Because I kept hearing it from different kind of... <laughs> I remember you bought one when we went to the breathwork thing at Maha Rose. Yeah, that's not the kind of stone for protection, though. Oh, it's not? No, that's quartz, yeah. no. Anyway, but I do have some protection things. But, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, I certainly think like these things are imbued. Like there's some metaphysical thing that we don't understand. Yeah. Um, right. But I also think someone like Jen or whoever would take a stone like that and then give it its, give it its purpose, 
you know, kind of imbue it with its, you know, it's not only you have this stone that's for protection, you tell it that's what it's for, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, dude, from now on, you're any negative energy, you can bounce that shit off of me, like take it away, you know? Yeah. I totally believe in it. Like even, even if it's not actually true, it's true for you. Right. right? Like I remember like when I was in uh, my outpatient at the end of it, when you're leaving, they did this ceremony and they took a rock and they passed the rock along to everybody who was there. And everyone said something nice about you. Oh, and then at the end you keep the rock and it's like, that's totally true. It's imbued with that energy of people saying nice stuff about you. Yeah. And then you're leaving there. That's, that's like real, you know. I saw uh, the candle from our New Year's Eve that you were at the ceremony that oh, you created. Yeah. I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, the candle of my intention for this year. For sure. So yeah, I totally think that those things are super helpful um, mm-hmm. because they just serve as like totems or reminders, you know, mm-hmm. of like what you actually want to be, and it helps to like check your intentions. It's a literal touchdown. Yeah. 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 All right, that's it for this week. Uh, We hope you enjoyed just solo Nick and Lacey time. Please check us out on social media at at SoberCoPodcast. You can check out our brand new website. It's Sober.Company. You can put that right into the browser, Sober.Company. And you can sign up for Nick's newsletter, which you may or may not get every week. You know you will get it (laughs) if you sign up for it. If people are signing up for it, I'm definitely going to keep it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So go to the, go to the site and sign up. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And what else? Uh, Please subscribe and rate and share with your friends and family. Also check out the show notes because I will reference everything that we talked about and put them in links if you're interested in the show notes. Our theme music is by the talented John Tessier, courtesy of our friends at Said So Sounds. And that is it. We are hoping you have a lovely May to June, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yay. Yay.